recording. All right, I am recording. Beautiful, beautiful waveforms. Um. Ah, oh, yeah. Look at them. Look at them waves. Look at them. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. Really passionate about these waveforms. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jake. And today we're here to talk about, uh, once again, not a horror movie. We're here to talk about She's the Man (laughs) from 2006, uh, directed by Andy Fickman and starring Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum. Um, how's How's your not spooky month going? I feel like during the time of the year when everyone else is at their spookiest, um, I'm starting to think more and more that that not spooky month was a terrible idea because I feel like I'm 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 trapped in the closet again, you know, being being a non spooky boy all oh, month. No, <laughs> see, I I just feel normal during October. Like everyone else is becoming more spooky, and <laughs> I'm already spooky. So I'm just like, oh, y'all have caught up with me. Cool, cool, cool. Like, I, I rearranged my walls so that my skeleton, instead of being, like, right behind me, is a bit more artfully placed in line with my other, like, pictures and stuff. <laughs> Don't worry, the skeleton is still there. So not spooky oh, month wait. is, like, a time for you to do housekeeping and make sure that the spookiness is, like, in line with the other aspects of your life. Yeah, exactly! Like, non-spooky spooky month is all about getting your spookiness in order <laughs> i like that I, I, that's a good way to look at it um what are your yeah. how do you like she's the man what are your overall thoughts before we get into a summary of it so i i love this movie and like what it came out in 2006 yeah so we were like 10 years old when this came out and like yeah. I can't even imagine being that small of a child anymore, but, like, I know this movie had quite an impact on me because, like, there aren't that many movies where you get to see a girl dressing up as a boy mm-hmm. and living as a boy. So, like, this was a pretty empowering movie uh, to watch when I was younger because I really loved, like... Well, of course, I'm trans mask now, so, like, it, right. it's very obvious looking back and being, like... Oh, I was a little girl who wanted to like be more of a like little masculine, little be a little man. <laughs> but yeah, like it, I think it was amazing to get to see Amanda Bynes dress up as a boy and pretend to be a boy. And so mm-hmm. whenever I watched this movie, I kind of got to live through that experience with her. And like, this is definitely one of my like key trans awakening movies i would say because there really aren't that many where you get to see this kind of switch yeah but what yeah and it's what did you think it's nice because it's whimsical in that sense too right like it's it's uh Mm -hmm. i feel like we we've talked about it before but a lot of like trans movies like people tend to think about things like um boys don't cry and like these things that are really tragic and like very sad and like um Mm. it's one of these things where like for sometimes queer and trans experiences are like almost essentially like tragic in movies um oh always yeah and so like it's i don't know we got to see like amanda Bynes as sebastian just running around this boarding school campus with everyone loving and celebrating his like 
twinkie t-boy swag you know which is like <laughs> yeah and they Sebastian. like really like love they love that he's a soft boy they're like oh man he's sensitive oh man he gets all the chicks even though he's like weird and not dudish he like the soft boys getting all the ladies yeah i feel like even just as like uh you know someone who grew up as a boy who was soft like it, i even just loved that aspect of it i was like oh that'd be cool to go to a school like illyria where people <laughs> people like your your weirdness in a way like sebastian had to fight for people to yeah. recognize his weirdness and we'll get into that but it, it's it's a fun movie. It's an absolute classic. I this was this was my choice for for not spooky month. And like, I don't know. I think it's iconic. There's so many lines from this movie that are like forever imprinted on my brain because I did watch this like back when it came out. Um from like David Cross's principal, his whole like awkwardly oh welcoming God. like welcome, 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 welcome. <laughs> That's always burned on my brain. And uh Monique's line where she says, Girls with asses like mine do not talk to boys with faces like yours. Oh my god. Iconic. So good. I loved that this movie is like a full notch <laughs> hornier than it needed to be on the horny scale. Like Oh God. Yes. <laughs> I, I found myself kind of shocked watching it too. Like the kind of jokes that made it into the cut. Because this like I didn't even look it up. I don't know if this is like a Disney movie, but it feels like a Disney movie. But then there's certain jokes where I'm like, it isn't. How did this make it <laughs> into the cut? And you would never see that in right? a Disney movie. So it's uh, it's truly just a wonderful time. It's also the movie that like introduced Channing Tatum to the world. Like this is what launched him into stardom. Uh, he was like in a well, this is commercial Step before up. that. But I think like this was before Step Up. I'm pretty sure. Oh shit! He was. I I read that no uh, he was in a Mountain what? Dew commercial before this, and Amanda oh Bynes was like, "He needs to be in this movie." Apparently, she fought for him to be in it. He like wasn't famous yet uh, before this. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay, so Step Up was two thousand and six, so the same year. Okay. So it may, in fact, have been before Step Up, but same year, same year. Well, it, wow. in that case, like... So 2006. Yeah, Step Up wasn't, like, I guess, in, like, out when this movie was made. So yeah. this and Step Up, you're right, uh, launched Channing Tatum into, uh, into stardom. Uh, just a wonderful movie. I guess let's get going with the summary and... Uh, I think I think you deserve the first uh, paragraph because you you put some you put some gems in that first paragraph. So I'll let you have it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. So, meet Viola Hastings, a high school girl whose soccer team just got cut because not enough girls signed up. She and her team approached the boys' soccer team coach, asking to try out for the boys' team. He doesn't let them, however, citing boys as being more off athletic and scientifically superior to girls mm. viola beseeches her boyfriend the captain of the team to defend her however he gaslights her and proceeds to gatekeep by siding with the coach finally viola girl bosses it by publicly dumping his ass and the girls leave gaslight gatekeep girl boss absolutely yeah. justin too was just like the epitome of like shitty boyfriend character like from the jump just <laughs> terrible he's the blueprint for so many other characters like i don't know there's so many identical characters before him and will be forever till the end of existence he's just like i don't know there's some there's some character uh archetypes that just are enduring and like justin the shitty boyfriend is truly one of them yeah justin is a douchebag like huge <laughs> douche 
when Viola gets home, she bumps into Monique, her twin brother Sebastian's girlfriend. Uh, Monique at first confuses Viola with Sebastian, saying how much Viola looks like her brother from the back. Inside, Viola finds Sebastian packing his belongings. He's going to spend two weeks in London, England with his band to play a show in a festival and needs Viola to cover for him. She does, telling her mother that Sebastian is staying with their father, uh, while telling their father he's staying at their mother's. Now that Sebastian will be away, Viola concocts an idea to impersonate her brother at his new boarding school, the rival school to her own. Uh, At this school, she'll pretend to be her brother, make the soccer team, and play against her own school's team and beat them to prove that girls can compete and win against boys in soccer. However, in order to trick her mother into thinking that she's staying at her father's, Viola has to distract her by promising to be a debutante uh, at the Junior League this season. Done up in boy drag, Viola goes to her brother's school, Illyria. There, Viola meets her roommate, Duke Orsino, who plays on the soccer team's first string. After soccer tryouts, Viola earns a place on the team's second string, meaning she won't be playing on the field during games. She navigates a few bumps in pretending to be a boy, namely showering and being seen as a total loser. (laughs) To up her social status as a guy, Viola's two best friends pose as her ex-lovers and make a scene at a restaurant in front of Duke and his two friends. In a twist of fate, Monique also shows up at the restaurant looking for the real Sebastian. Viola runs through the joint, avoiding Monique while monologuing about how terrible she is, and Viola dumps Monique, who promptly leaves. Now known as a ladies' man, Viola earns high status and becomes accepted by Duke and the other guys. I want to take this moment as an opportunity to just talk about Amanda Bynes' performance as Sebastian, because we didn't really make a note of it. But, like, it felt like yeah. she was channeling, like, I don't I don't know if it's, like, Jim Carrey or something during certain scenes as Sebastian, Ooh. because... I saw a lot of reviewers talking about specifically her facial expressions and how she seemed to have an elastic face and you could see every single thought that comes across uh, yeah. Viola or Sebastian's face, however you want to phrase it. Um, and that scene especially, I don't know, something about it. Because she's like trying to avoid Monique and like balancing pizza boxes so that she doesn't get a good look at, uh, at her face. It's <laughs> like, now, what is it? Like, you're beautiful, Monique, but now I see you for what you truly are, which is Ugly. Just ugly. <laughs> Some of these line deliveries are just so out of pocket, but but kind of perfect. A, a lot of people see this as Amanda Bynes' kind of iconic role, too. Like, um, Yeah, it really is. What, what a wonderful time. Um, anyhow, after this whole uh, t- boondoggle at the pizza place, uh, classes are now starting, and Viola's science partner is a girl named Olivia Lennox. Duke is pining over Olivia and makes a deal with Viola. Duke will help Viola get good enough at soccer to play during their rivalry game with Cornwall, Viola's school. In exchange, Viola has to set up Duke with Olivia. Meanwhile, Viola has earned the attention of a guy named Malcolm because he's obsessed with Olivia and envious of of Viola being her lab partner. The next day is a carnival, which both Sebastian and Viola have to attend. This means Viola has to switch outfits numerous times during the carnival, all while avoiding running into Monique. Viola is scheduled to work a shift at the kissing booth and ends up kissing Duke. As she's kissing Duke, her ex-boyfriend Justin sees this and takes offense. Justin and Duke fight, which gets them kicked out of the carnival. 
After the carnival, Viola and Duke talk, and Viola starts to fall in love with him. It's such a punk move by Justin, by the way. Like, just absolutely sucker punched right? him out of nowhere. Like, pretended to walk away and then just hit him with the with the right hook. Like, absolute cowardice from the douchebag boyfriend <laughs> archetype. The worst. Ugh. Meanwhile, Viola's soccer skills have leveled up enough with Duke's help and through the help of several training montages that Viola earns a first-string spot on the team for the Cornwall game. However, as Viola tries to set herself up with Duke... Olivia asks Duke out in order to make Viola jealous because Olivia's got this whole crush on on Sebastian, which is actually Viola as Sebastian. It's a whole thing. Yeah. The plan doesn't work, though, (laughs) making for an awkward double date. Meanwhile, the real Sebastian calls Monique, saying that they need to talk and telling her that he's coming back from London a day early. Sebastian will be home in time for the Cornwall game. What a twist. What a twist. At a debutante event, Viola is dressed as herself for once. In the bathroom, she speaks with Olivia about Duke and discovers that Olivia isn't interested in Duke at all, but wants to hook up with Sebastian. Based on advice from Viola to tell the truth about her crush, Olivia decides that the next time she sees Sebastian, she'll kiss him. At this point, Monique exits a bathroom stall and accuses Olivia of ruining her relationship with Sebastian. The three girls fight. Later that evening, the real Sebastian arrives on campus by taxi. Duke watches him from afar as Olivia approaches and kisses Sebastian and whispers his own song lyrics to him. Uh, Somehow she did not realize when she was literally face-to-face with him, by the way, that he was (laughs) not Amanda Bynes, uh, that this was not the same person that she was talking to the entire time, that he's, like, probably a foot taller than her. Like, (laughs) all of that stuff. Well... You gotta remember, she said she was gonna close her eyes and kiss him as hard as she could. So she went in there blind. I swear, and look, I would have to rewatch it, like, looking for this specifically. I swear that, like, Olivia is taller than Amanda Bynes and shorter than the real Sebastian. <laughs> like, I don't know Probably. about this. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think her... Look, it's it's a 2006 uh, <laughs> kids movie. I guess yeah, I shouldn't we're, we're be... Gonna... We're going to exercise some apologetics. Yeah. Like, there's there's plenty of stuff in this, this movie that works. doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and, and that's okay. We love it. Oh, that totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Monique gets home, she listens to the message that Sebastian left her and discovers he's been in London this whole time. When Viola gets back to her room, she's quickly kicked out by Duke, who feels betrayed after watching Olivia kiss Sebastian. Not long after, Monique comes searching for Sebastian at the dorms and runs into Malcolm. Monique and Malcolm put together the pieces that Viola is impersonating Sebastian and take their theory to the school principal. Principal Gold, portrayed by David Cross. He was excellent. Oh my god, I love the principal. (laughs) Next morning, it's game day. During the night, Sebastian had found his way to he and Duke's room and fell asleep. The guys come to wake him up and get him ready for the game. Meanwhile, Viola is sleeping in a girl named Eunice's room and wakes up late for the game. Sebastian ends up playing the first half of the game while Viola watches from the sidelines. Before the first half is over, the principal stops the clock to announce that Viola has been impersonating her brother and points to Sebastian. Confused, Sebastian refutes that he's a girl and proves he's a boy by pulling down his pants. At halftime, Viola intercepts her brother and they switch clothing. Then, Viola plays the remaining half of the game. 
However, once again, the game is interrupted when a fight breaks out between Duke and Justin. After the fight, Viola decides to come clean and admit she's been impersonating Sebastian and that she's fallen in love with Duke. When the game resumes, Viola plays for Illyria and wins the game with a penalty kick. Finally, we end the film with a debutante event where the debutantes come out. Viola invites Duke, and he shows up to escort Viola down the stage. They make out on stage, and everyone cheers for them. The end. Woo-hoo! Yeah, literally everyone gets and paired up with somebody. they all happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally everyone pairs up. I really thought it was a nice touch that they paired up Justin, the shitty ex-boyfriend, with Monique, the shitty ex-girlfriend. Like, just those two douchebags absolutely <laughs> deserve each other, and it's a nice touch. I don't know, it's very Shakespearean, right? Like, everyone kind of just gets a match at the end of the of the romantic comedy, and... You know, the villains end up with the villains and they're probably going to live a happy enough life together. I don't know. It's lovely. Exactly. I mean, I I mean, since you've said this is quite Shakespearean, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's interesting because She's the Man is based on a Shakespearean play. It's based on Twelfth Night. Now, Jake, did you ever read Twelfth Night? Yeah, I had to read it in uh, English class in like grade 11 or 12, uh, somewhere in there. So... Yeah. I did, but it was such a long time ago. Like, I hardly remember it. Um, I I was surprised to... Like, I did some research on it because I knew that this was uh, adapted from The Twelfth Night. Um, and I was reading up on the plot, mm. and it's, it's kind of interesting. There's, like, there is a pair of twins named Viola and Sebastian. Um, they're shipwrecked on the coast of an of a exotic foreign land called Illyria. Um, Sebastian is believed to be dead, so Viola disguises herself as a man named Cesario and works for a nobleman named Duke Orsino. So Duke is his, is his title in that rather than, like, his first yeah. name. Um, also interesting because Viola in The Twelfth Night isn't disguising herself as her brother Sebastian. She's disguising herself as a, yeah. a random third man named Cesario. Um, so the Duke is in love with Countess Olivia. Olivia falls in love with Cesario. Viola falls in love with Duke who sends Cesario to profess his love for Olivia on his behalf. So that love triangle exists in both, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. It's not at all about soccer. Mm -hmm. Um... (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean a Shakespearean play isn't about soccer? Come on. I also really loved what they did with the character of Malcolm in um, She's the Man, because there's Malcolm is pretty much a stand-in for the character of Malvolio in Twelfth Night. Um, Malvolio is the name of Malcolm's spider in She's the Man. So Malvolio isn't a spider quite in, uh, in, uh, The Twelfth Night, but he's sort of a frumpy housekeeper who gets fucked with and pranked a lot. That's sort of like the side plot that's going on in, in Twelfth Night. Um, which I also love, we're talking about character archetypes, like Malcolm just kind of exists to be the nerd who gets dunked on all the time. That's kind of just his lot in life. It's just like oh, there's a soccer training montage going on. So of course, Malcolm's hanging out in the sidelines and gets a ball like punted into his face during the montage because he's just pretty much there to get dunked on. He's just a stupid nerd. (laughs) Yep, he's just a stupid nerd who's creepy. Not only is he stupid, but he's creepy. Like he has this, like all of these stalker photos of Olivia everywhere up in his room and like a giant pillow printout of her so he can like snuggle with her at night. 
He's creepy. He's truly a creep. Ugh. He's getting involved in everyone's business all the time, too. Like, he's going and looking up, like, old yearbooks from Cornwall to see um, uh, Viola and Sebastian, like, the twins from, you know, before Viola was disguising herself as Sebastian. Which, like, I feel like, and we'll talk about this later, but if you were to, like, remake this movie as, like, a story of a trans athlete or something like that, like, it feels like he's the type of dude who's just obsessed with who someone used to be. Like, this is like a J.K. Rowling stand-in, yeah. an actual, like, trans version of this story, you know, where it's just like, who yes, are so you really? Malcolm is a turf. Yeah, Malcolm's a turf. Yeah. <laughs> who are you really? Yeah, who are you behind that wig and everything? Ugh. Um, Malcolm is the enemy. Yeah. I don't know. Did you ever read The Twelfth Night? Do you have any, like, connection to the source material for this? I did. I mean, I remember reading it. I think it was for, like, enrichment or something oh. in, like, grade school. Ooh, I know. Gifted enrichment. Kid. Yeah. So- sounds so fancy. <laughs> yeah. Gifted kid with mad burnout. Hello. What, what? Yeah. Preaching. <laughs> but I, I remember I did love um watching this movie when i was studying 12th night because like 12th night is just a bunch of fuckery like it's all about like twins like fucking around and like i loved the relationship between olivia and cesario because cesario's like okay man i've got to make my boss sound really good so we can like hook up with this chick and like he would like spout these love poems and stuff to her and like totally backfires and i i just love like that it's an actual love triangle like usually people think like you know a love triangle is like one person and two people are in love with that one person but this one is a legit love triangle where they each love someone in the triangle and none of them love each other back yeah and like it actually forms that perfect triangle it's really fun the dynamic of like um Olivia being in love with Sebastian or or um, Cesario, whoever it is, but like in both versions, Olivia is in love with Viola's Mansona. So like essentially yes. a man that doesn't exist. And so uh, Viola being, you know, a straight woman in both <laughs> in both accounts, disguised as a man, has no interest in Olivia. And like the yeah the the untoward or like unintended um sort of like ways that olivia becomes attracted to her i think and like again this is a segment that we'll get to later but like i think in uh, in any further remakes of 12th night or she's the man or whatever like olivia has to come to the realization that she's bi like explicitly at the end yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah most definitely like i think I think that would actually work in quite well with this, with, like, the thing about debutantes. Like, I... Okay, they said it in this movie, and it's like, debutantes come out. And they're, like, talking about it's like, oh, are you ready to come out? Are you gonna, like... Yeah. You know, for your, like, coming out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> debutantes have to come out, too? Like, that is perfect. I love that. Like, Olivia could just come out as a debutante and come out as either bisexual or gay at the same time. Because, like, I mean, Olivia's, like, a typical gay woman. Like, she's falling in love with a fantasy man, a man that isn't real. And, like, that's the only man she's had a crush on, so... And it's truly, like... you're a little gay! Every time she's pointing out, like, what she's attracted to about Sebastian, it's just like, oh, it's that he's, like... 
more sensitive than most men and like more soft and like more in tune with his feelings. And like, it feels like it's a step away from being like, and you know, like the soft, delicate features of his face. And like, <laughs> it feels like you're just like going more and more toward like, she hasn't realized that Sebastian's a woman, but like, that is certainly what, although she does end up with the real Sebastian at the end. So I, yeah, I guess that's not really the case. She does eventually fall in love with a cis man. Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll let her be bisexual yeah. and figure that out later in college. Right. <laughs> yeah, certainly. But yeah, I'm all for her, like, debutante showing out as, like, you know, she comes out, like, draped in, like, the bi-flag colors or the pan-flag colors or something like that. Oh, yes! <laughs> I'd be into that. Um, I mean, I guess since we're talking about debutantes, which is, like, such a such a massive, like, performance of femininity i want to talk about like just general yeah. like performance of gender in this movie because there's like the male bonding rituals that come through in this movie i think this movie has so much to say mm -hmm. about gender um yeah and it's kind of interesting because this movie feels very feminist like and we'll, we'll get into sort of like the queer politics of it later uh i suppose because we've both got a lot to say about that but yeah. It's got quite a lot of gender politics in it, right? And, like, there's... It's kind of interesting because we're... It's set against the backdrop of the world of debutantes. So, again, like, this... Mm -hmm. This world of pageantry and, like, really uh, broadcasting your femininity. But then also there's the men's soccer team. And there's things like their hazing rituals and stuff. Which is, like, this outward performance of masculinity. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. The hazing scene... We didn't even really get to in the summary, but like there's a scene where Sebastian, Viola as Sebastian is subject to hazing rituals where like water is dumped on him in the middle of the night and then he's like taken into the showers and then the the boys from the soccer team are all like hazing all the rookies and they're like in masks <laughs> and they're like trapped them in the showers and are telling them to remove their clothes and... And throwing oatmeal at them. Yeah, really gross. Really, truly very <laughs> gross and, like, wet and messy. Um, yeah. I find it fascinating because this is a scene that, like, it uh, it feels like it's designed to be, like, kind of raunchy, schoolyard school fun, right? And I think, like, in a mm. modern context, it comes through, like, I don't know if I want to say out of touch, but, like, it's pretty horrific. Like we know now that like the way that these hazing yeah. rituals play out and the types of abuse that um, young boys in like uh, high school and college settings get away with under this like guise of sort of being like this male bonding ritual uh, sort of felt like it was saying the quiet part out loud in this movie. It kind of feels like if, if anyone watched this movie or a movie like it and understood what was happening and understood its analogs to real life. They can't act like they didn't know that these hazing rituals were going on when they, when they become a problem in real life. Right. It's, I found it very interesting. Yeah. Um, if you were making a movie like this set in a high school or a college now, I feel like this is a scene you couldn't include. <laughs> um, now that, now yeah. that we know the nature of, of these things. Yeah, like, it's funny to laugh at back in 2006 before, like, we're really coming to light about hazing rituals and, like, what it does to people, both, like, physically and psychologically. Mm -hmm. Like, in 2006, it's ha-ha funny, whereas now it looks like you're making fun of something that you really shouldn't be making fun of. Like, we have the fights between, like, we have two different kinds of fighting that happens in this movie. 
we have the fights that happen between Duke Orsino and between Justin, the ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the fights between the girls. Right. And the boys kind of explicitly, like, they are allowed to fight at some point. Like, on the soccer field, they're allowed to fight for quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And the girls are told later, you know, fight with your eyes. So we see this kind <laughs> yeah. of difference between... Yeah, yeah. Debutantes fight with their eyes, or they disagree with their eyes, or whatever. It Debutantes is. have laser beams in their eyes. Not everyone knows this, but they're truly a fearsome <laughs> creature, and you should stay away from them. <laughs> they're terrifying. Yes, watch out for their eye beams. It's how they get you. But it, I, I find it interesting that they have these, like the movie has these overt displays of gender and how the two different genders are treated very, very differently, even though they're doing the same thing, which is fighting. Mm. You know, the guys are just told to, you know, save it for off the field, whereas the girls are told, oh, no, you shouldn't be fighting at all in a physical way. It should all be mental games. That is super interesting. I also, like, I I learned, I was reading up on some of the trivia for this movie, in that bathroom fight scene between uh, Monique, Olivia, and Viola, um, they had stunt doubles on set, but, like, they pretty much didn't use them, and the three of them, like, actually fought for that scene. And uh, wow! the director was saying, like, yeah, we had some stunt doubles, and they did good work, and, like, there is some footage of them in there when you can't, like, really see their faces and stuff. But he said, for the most part, and this is mm-hmm. a quote, he said, for the most part in that scene, what you're seeing is our girls pounding on each other. <laughs> <laughs> That is a great way of phrasing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, yeah, the the fighting is interesting in the way that it's, like, incredibly gendered. It's kind of like, it really feels like this dates back to a time when, like, boys will be boys was, like, an acceptable thing to say. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you know, uh, yeah. young teen boys, they're always grab-assing each other and whatever. And it's like, it's... Yeah, it's it's icky. We have to like it makes you feel a bit icky. It's a it's a time where I feel like we now. It, it's interesting how fast things have changed because this is what sixteen years ago. Um, yeah, we're kind of in a time okay. now where it feels like we're a little bit more cognizant of like no people do have boundaries and you should probably respect them to some degree and it's not really yeah. a fun way to like prove your manhood by <laughs> like violating everyone else's boundaries. Um, like, I noted that Duke and his friends also bond over their shared horniness for Olivia, and it's it's kind of interesting because we are introduced to Duke's pining for Olivia with him and his friends looking at her and being like, look at all that ass, <laughs> which... Look at that ass, yeah. Which, like, I did... Fu- Very much a boys will be boys. Yeah, yeah, and then... But it, later on, there's, like... Uh, Sub- Viola, as Sebastian, tries to, like, get in on it, and it's like, oh... I don't you think she's so hot and that you would want to make out with her and I forget what the line is but it's essentially like he tries to bond with Duke by objectifying women as well and then he's like why do you always speak about women in such graphic terms so like it's interesting how there's a line right like the dudes bond with each other over their shared horniness to some degree but not to the full degree but I think that's meant to show like how Duke is actually a sensitive boy he's better than the other boys Aw, yeah, he is. He's sensitive. That's what makes him a man. Well, and, like, to that point, it's also, like, the the other dudes, like, the soccer bros don't respect Sebastian, and they think he's weird and, like, a freak because he has tampons that he brings into the room and puts puts them up his nose to stop his nosebleeds. Um, 
That's another line that is like burned into my brain, by the way, when he sticks the tampon into his nose. It was like, see, it absorbs it right up. <laughs> that one stuck with me forever. I thought that was brilliant. Like, what a way to disguise having tampons. Like quick, quick thinking. Quick on quick on her feet. Quick on her feet. But then after like Sebastian is shown to be wanted and desired by women after they stage the whole thing where like Viola's friends come up to uh the fake Sebastian and are like, Oh Sebastian, I just wasn't woman enough for you. And like he's shown to be turning yeah. down multiple like gorgeous women. Then the other boys respect him, right? After he's shown to be desirable to women, that is what makes them turn the corner and like, oh, he's not this freak who has tampons he's actually a ladies man and so now he's worthy of our respect and now we we respect his his t-boy swag um that's what kind of makes him the the man on campus <laughs> his t-boy swag i love that yeah yeah it is it is interesting how the boys bond with each other by disrespecting women mm-hmm. but then they respect the man who is wanted by women bit interesting it's kind of like uh it's a constant like contradiction with like i would say Mm. like performative masculinity right where it's um yeah it's all about like having the attention of women but without giving them your respect which is like kind of doesn't really go and unless you're just surrounded with pick me girls at all times that doesn't really that math isn't math yeah um that math is not math. No. Uh, it, to me, it all ties into Judith Butler as well. And I believe we've talked about Judith Butler on the podcast before, but like... Maybe. Maybe. But I feel like she's pretty like well, um, well understood in queer circles these days. But basically, like her whole theory is that gender is a performance. Like that is what is at the center of gender, uh, masculinity and femininity. Yeah. It is all a performance of like, I'm displaying to other people that I have these certain traits, right? I have like whatever it is. I have athletic prowess. I have the desire of women. I have um, really nice features. Like for women, it's like, oh, I groom myself a certain way. I fight with my eyes. I'm not (laughs) fighting other women in the bathroom. And this is how I prove my femininity. Uh, And this is how I prove my masculinity at all times. And like, it really feels like this movie comes at it sort of from that perspective in a way where it's like, yeah, Jen these people are constantly performing their gender at each other all the time throughout Mm -hmm. the whole movie. Yeah, I think the movie makes quite a good case for gender performance because we do see Viola express her gender as, like, she's not a tomboy regularly, even though you kind of expect her to be a tomboy, but she wears these tight dresses with makeup and long hair whenever she's performing as Viola the girl as opposed to Viola the boy. Mm And she really, like, chalks up that gender performance and, like, over-masculinizes herself at points, which is when she's, like, disrespecting to women. And Duke's like, oh, why are you so graphic about it? Like, that's because she goes overboard with the masculine gender performance. Mm -hmm. I also, like, it's interesting because you say, like, yeah, she's not really a tomboy. Like, she does not present masculine in any way but her mom definitely sees her as a tomboy because she wants to play soccer rather mm-hmm. than be a debutante um so it's interesting yeah. how like different people from from different cultures or different times or, or like different standpoints have different ideas of what is acceptable within parameters of gender um and that's like another whole contradiction of gender all the time right is like 
especially like people who are gender mm-hmm. essentialists and and like people within the the anti-trans movement or like within right-wing movements often have this contradiction right where it's like oh gender is this thing that constantly has to be maintained like you have to constantly be displaying your man card or else you're not a real man um but also yeah. gender is this like uh um immovable object that it's like no you are always what you are assigned at birth and whatever that's the way that they view it so it's like yeah it is this constant contradiction you have to constantly prove your manhood but you also can never uh get rid of your manhood in their eyes it is yeah so even if you stop trying to prove your manhood you still can't get rid of it like it still exists there by default within their within their worldview yeah it's yeah Truly, like, being being the type of person who is, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I kind of feel like within that sphere of thought, right, their, their whole thinking is that, like, oh, the other side, like, let's call it, like, the progressive or, like, the, the gender-affirming side of things. It's, like, they tend to mm-hmm. view us as being, like, obsessed with gender and, and all that stuff. But I'm, like, I kind of think they're the ones who are, like, a little bit more obsessed with, like, constantly making sure everyone is up to their standards of gender performance you know it's uh i find it odd they're the malcolms of the world they're the people who are always investigating everyone else's business it's like stay stay in your lane how about that yeah because like (laughs) there's there's what there's gender performance but there's also gender identity right and like sometimes those can be at at odds and that's like one of those things you would find is a contradiction but it's a contradiction that can be reconciled when you do tease it apart and you can figure out oh gender identity versus performance they're not always the same thing like i don't know i identify as non-binary but a lot of the times i present as very masculine Mm -hmm. so you would you know kind of assume and be like oh you're a man and it's like oh no like my performance is just at odds with my identity no big deal (laughs) totally okay to have that be a contradiction like yeah. don't worry sweetie like <laughs> you know but i i i even realized that like the people who think the most about your gender are other people mm. most people walk through their lives not thinking about their gender at all mm-hmm. and the only people that are thinking about their gender are those outside of themselves like i re- i recognized mm. that one day when i was having lunch with my friend after like you know being out for like 3 or 4 years i I was just, you know, getting, like, a coffee with my friend, and she was like, oh, you look very androgynous today, and, like, was saying it as a compliment, and I was like, oh, I, I do? I, oh, I didn't even know how I was presenting or performing my gender today, I just, I, I don't think about it anymore. Like, and that's when I realized, I'm like, most people, yeah, like, like, I think you've, like, settled into your identity when you've just stopped thinking about gender, and you just live your life without really taking that into consideration whereas i i feel like viola gets like the shit end of the stick in this movie because Hmm. not only does she have to think about her gender identity like yes i like that she is a girl but she has to think about her gender performance as a boy and she has to think about her gender performance as a girl like she really has to put in so much of this gender work it's ridiculous i really feel like the carnival scenes like a interesting example of that because like that's that's the scene where like she is constantly switching back and forth like she goes into the outhouse Mm. and changes from boy mode into girl mode and then goes into the bounce house and changes for back switches back the other way and everything and it's kind of like she uh 
almost is having trouble like keeping up one identity or the other at one point right like she she kind of can't at one point she changes into boy mode and then just immediately runs over to the bounce house and and is chased by monique and then yeah. turns back into girl mode and i was like what why did she even do that for like why did she change at all if she was just gonna go over here and change back she didn't do anything in the middle <laughs> right plot holes plot holes there's no plot holes in this movie come on of course listen of course if you're the principal of a school right and you find out that someone is yeah like let's say faking their gender uh of course what you would do is wait till halfway through a soccer game and then come out with a bullhorn in front of everyone and expose it you wouldn't just like pull yes. that player aside before the game and have that conversation of course not you would announce it to the entire yeah, home let's... crowd <laughs> Exactly. Not only would you do that, but you would call their parents before. <laughs> tell them to show up to the game so that you can make this announcement, mysterious announcement during the game. And at this like at, when I was watching that point in the movie, I was horrified. Yeah. Because like that like that would be their way of treating a trans soccer player. Yes. If that was the case, like if it was the case that Viola was actually a trans man and was, you know, navigating being a trans man on like a cis man soccer team, that would be the reaction of Malcolm, Monique and the principal all trying to out this trans man in public in front of everyone. And I was like, oh, my God, like my my transpho bells went off and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I, uh, I really like Principal Gold and like his whole vibe throughout the movie is being excessively friendly and welcoming. So the way that I headcanon that because I don't want Principal Gold to be a transphobe is that it's not that yeah. it's not that Sebastian is secretly a girl. That's not the issue. It's that Sebastian is actually Viola, Sebastian's sister. It's not that it's not that the person's yeah. gender is at issue. It's that it's the it's the identity theft. That's what he has the issue with. Yes. So like that this student was not I actually like admitted like to the school on an academic basis and therefore you are not eligible to play. That's my headcanon, although like <laughs> what you're saying is way more I'm, likely. I'm okay with I that just headcanon. I just want to like Principal like Gold, it. so that's the way I'm going to justify it. I'm uh, you know what, valid. Like at least hey he is like very accepting of Sebastian wearing a wig, so we're gonna <laughs> yeah. like, give him some like brownie points for that of like bonding over wearing wigs. He also says at one point that they love to be accommodating at the school, and that's like their main thing. So I'm like, that's that's where I'm like, I think it would be antithetical for him to be transphobic. Uh, like that would be yeah, out of character. yeah. I also like probably the best line in the movie is where like so Malcolm's trying to bring up his suspicions to Principal Gold, and he's like not really hearing it he's like i think that's a little out there that like sebastian would be secretly a girl and then sebastian walks by and is on the phone and viola as sebastian walks by and is on the phone with her mom and is talking about how she doesn't want to wear high heels and how they're uh, a man's invention to make women's butts look more perky and make it harder for them to run away uh and then principal gold says malcolm have you ever tried to run away in high heels it's not easy. <laughs> I want to know. I love that line. I kind of feel like half these lines are just David Cross improvising also because he's an improv comedian. Yeah. So I really just, I, I got the vibe through several that he's just having fun and the camera happens to be rolling <laughs> during several of his scenes. 
Yeah, that makes it more fun. Like, he really is a fun character. I loved him. He's excellent. Oh, my God. Um, I want to move on to talking about women's sports. Because that's, like, truly a focal point of this movie. Um, Viola and and her soccer team are cut because not enough girls sign up for soccer. And then the the, uh, coach of the men's team and the captain of the men's team are not willing to let them play. And uh, they say that it's because women are, are scientifically um, inferior to men on a, on a physiological level, on, mm-hmm. a, on a sports level. Um, I thought this is really interesting from the perspective of someone who, like, I'm a fan of women's sports. And I think that, like, women's sports and, and women athletes are constantly disrespected in the real world and, and like, held up to be not as uh, quality of competition. Um, and it's a, I, I find it's an interesting topic of conversation at all times because like the i i am what i'm not i'm not siding with the with the shitty men in this situation however Mm -hmm. there are very real like physiological sex differences between people um and like there are examples of like for example the canadian olympic women's hockey team um practices by playing against high school boys teams uh like like triple a boys teams and they often lose like they they have about an even record so like on one side you have the top women athletes in the world and on the other side you have like boys who are in high school um and it's about even because they are they are bigger they have a longer reach they can skate faster often um but what's interesting is that women actually do have and i'm sorry i'm talking I'm, i'm talking about people assigned female at birth um yeah do have strengths that actually in in certain areas like uh there are, there are studies that show that women, sorry, people assigned female at birth are like often actually more physiologically suited to be things like astronauts because they have better like lung capacity and pain tolerance and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. There's another example where like both the Williams sisters lost one on one to the world ranked number 203 tennis player in 1998 um, because Serena was pretty certain she could beat any man outside of the top 200 uh, and it, it didn't quite go down that way. But what's interesting is like women's mm. sports leagues are among the most inclusive. Uh, like if if you ever want to see like gender diverse athletes, like the PHF, which is the uh, Premier Hockey Fe- Federation, formerly the National Women's Hockey League, has one of the best inclusion policies. Um, they allow assigned female at birth players to play regardless of gender. Uh, and then assigned male at birth players can play as long as their testosterone serum levels remain below uh, a level that's deemed acceptable. Um, and that's sort of like the, the industry standard. The National Women's Soccer League does the same thing. Um, really? Yeah. So like, like uh, one of the, I know the CWHL, so the Canadian Women's Hockey League, which is a league that no longer exists, they actually had the first out trans athlete in North American pro sports. Uh, Jessica Platt uh, played for wow. the Toronto Furies a few years ago. And then Harrison Brown, who is a trans man, um, used to play in the uh, the NWHL, which is now called the PW, uh, sorry, the PHF. So it's interesting, too, because the PHF specifically changed their name because they didn't want to put the word women's in their in their title. So it's like. It's wow. nominally a women's league, but they wanted to be inclusive with their naming and, and say that, like, you know, explicitly they welcome trans athletes uh, to play. So it's interesting. You're seeing now that, like, mm-hmm. women's sports or, like, women's leagues are now predominantly, like, gender diverse leagues. You can have non-binary players. You can have, uh, like, 
trans mask or trans women players playing, which which is really interesting. Um, there's also like constant debate over intersex athletes. Um, Ooh, yeah. Because like, and again, what I'm talking about, the reason I brought up like these these physiological differences is like women athletes and people who are assigned female at birth, you know, deserve to have an opportunity to play pro sports and to be pro athletes and to have their work recognized and not constantly be overshadowed by men. So I do think that like having a women's league or like a gender diverse league is an important thing to have. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you were just sort of pitting people against like, you know, if it was just an all-inclusive league, it would most likely be pretty much predominantly men. Um, So Mm -hmm. it is interesting, but then there's intersex athletes like Castor Semenya, who is someone who is uh, intersex and assigned female at birth. uh, And I don't think it's polite to get into like the specifics of of this person's like, you know, sex characteristics, but uh, Mm -hmm. essentially she's a woman who has some sort of traits that you would consider more masculine um and she you know dominates at a lot of different sports and it's interesting because it's a debate for people uh and there are people as you can imagine from all ends of the political spectrum uh some are using this as an opportunity to be transphobic and then some people are concerned about just sort of the uh what is more fair to to other athletes but essentially like it's an interesting debate because all all of the best athletes in history have certain genetic advantages. Like um, Michael Phelps yeah. is a perfect example. Michael Phelps's body has a mutation where he produces less lactic acid than most people. And that contributes really? to him being one of the best swimmers in history. He just simply is a genetic freak and that makes him one of the best swimmers in history. Now, he's also a person who yeah. is very talented and he puts in the work and that shows. It, you know, That's not the sole reason that he is... Um, that that he has you know achieved what he's achieved but i find it interesting that then when it's a genetic difference that also applies to someone's physical sex then it's an unfair advantage and mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be allowed to compete in these leagues uh to some people yeah so uh, all that to say it's really interesting and i really really cannot stress enough like if you have pro sports in your leagues that are women's leagues or gender inclusive like support them whether it's the uh the professional women's hockey players uh, association, whether it's the premier hockey federation, whether it's the national women's soccer league, the national national women's basketball association there. I think they're truly like paving the way forward in sports in a lot of ways. And the athletes are not paid anywhere close to what male athletes are paid. And it's really a shame. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I say. Oh, my last thing on that is a friend of mine who's a former pro hockey player uh, in the Canadian Women's Hockey League uh, tells me that women's pro hockey and most women's pro sports is roughly 50% gay. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, if you're ever, if you're ever looking for... There's actually an incredible story. Um, there's a player from the national, like, Canadians uh, Olympic team and a player from the national women's American team uh, and they like fell in love and like are married and have babies together now. So like, Aww. just think of the storyline. Sports is already like a massive soap opera, and then if you add like gay relationships into it, it becomes even more awesome. What if you have relationships within a team? What if you have relationships uh, among rivals? It, the the amount of storylines cannot be cannot be understated. See. 
I wasn't sure I was going to recommend an anime to you, uh-huh. but now I have to, <laughs> because it's called Yuri on Ice, and it's gay figure skaters, and it is such a good story, like, about figure skating, but also about, like, anxiety and about, like, love. And it is where, like, a Japanese figure skater falls in love with a Russian figure skater. Sounds awesome. And it is wonderful. Yeah, it is super gay and super wonderful. And, like, it's confirmed, like, canonically it is gay. They do kiss. Wonderful. And it is very well done. I, you will learn a lot about figure skating. That's good. Yeah. I love I love sports stories, to be honest. Like... I, it's sports me too sports is such a great background to talk about other things like we can see that with black swan we can see that with she's the man right it's a it's such a good vehicle to talk mm-hmm. about and at the end you have a winner and a loser right and you can your protagonist can win your protagonist can lose um and there are sort of like lessons to be taken from from either of them and i think that's that's super cool um side note viola was fully offside for the lose. final goal <laughs> what what does that even mean in, i don't i don't know what that means offside means different things in different sports but like in soccer it's that you pretty much take a pass and you're behind the the farthest back defender um i don't watch a ton of yeah. soccer but i noticed that in the trivia people were pointing it out viola was offside that last goal should not have counted <laughs> Excellent. So the final goal that wins her the <laughs> cup should not have counted. Well, Perfect. They're also like clearly very lax with the rules in this league because there's fully like the uh, the coach of the other team of Cornwall comes out and is like, hey, it's in the manual. Girls can't play in this league. Or like also also she's not a student of your school. Like Viola is not enrolled she's at, not. at Illyria. She she's not eligible to play in this game. And the dude comes out with this little pamphlet and he's like, I have the rule book. It says that the it, it says that she can't play. And then the coach of Illyria just takes the pamphlet and rips it up and is like, What rule book? <laughs> and then she's allowed to play. <laughs> See, I like that. I like how he is he is hardcore supportive of his team players. Yes. Oh, and I love and I love him and he's an icon. He's also played by an actual like pro footballer, which is really cool. Um yeah. But like I love I absolutely love the implication that if you rip up a copy of the rule book, then the rules simply don't exist anymore. Like <laughs> I was I was watching it with my partner and he ripped it up and I was like, "Guess that was their only copy." There's just... <laughs> Yep, sorry, no more rules beyond that. I guess that's why... It's not like you know the rules or anything. I guess that's why the final goal was allowed to count, because the rule book got ripped up, so they don't have the offside rule on the books anymore. Never mind, it's not a plot hole. Exactly! <laughs> Good thinking, Jake. Good thinking. We resolved that plot hole. Now, there is another plot hole that I see you wrote down here. Yeah. Why doesn't Viola tie up her hair when she plays soccer? Oh, now, my that... God. That is the real question. I don't even have long hair How? like that yet, but like, yet. <laughs> but like, why? It was so. You could tell they clearly like brushed her hair a hundred times between every single take. Also, right? Because it was just like perfect the entire oh, time. Yeah. But she supposedly played like forty minutes of football, <laughs> and her hair yeah, is just as hanging it. low. It's swinging around. I'd be like, that stuff would be so like tied up in knots. It would have gnats all up in it. Like. Yep. Oh yeah, she would not look that beautiful. Mm-mm. You gotta tie that up. I've never seen, like, and again, 
I'm someone who like watches women's sports. It's always tied up. You gotta. You wouldn't just want your hair just swinging around everywhere. That's so bad. Just blowing, <laughs> blowing in the breeze. The gentle wafting. For for a movie that is ostensibly about women athletes, I'm pretty sure no one in involved in the making of this movie ever watched like a women's soccer game because <laughs> they would have called <laughs> that out. Yeah, they would have. The costuming needs to uh, work on that a little bit, on their accuracy. Uh, I also okay. Here's something else I wanted to point out. We're in just like the the realm of like I just there are certain things that I want to point out. How goddamn rich is Viola and Sebastian's family? Like, oh my god, they must be so rich because they send their kids to two different elite private boarding schools. And and, yep. and Sebastian got kicked out of one elite private boarding school for like not ch- showing up to class and doing any of his homework. So their their like response is, we're just going to transfer you to another elite private boarding school and hope that things go better there. And they don't. Yep, they go just as bad. <laughs> like I I don't understand. Why wouldn't you just send him to public school at that point? Ooh, yeah, public school, where you you get a reward if you keep the boys off the pipe and the girls off the pole. This is public school. Right. I don't... That's like a quote from EZA that I messed up. Okay. But whatever. And it works. Also, did... Wait, did Cornwall not notice that Viola wasn't showing up for two weeks? That's what I was wondering, (laughs) right? Like, she was missing for two whole weeks, like... I, I think I think they resolved that by saying that you started at Illyria, like you start living there two weeks before classes start. So I think she only had like, I think like it was supposed to be the end of the two weeks was supposed to be the first day of class. No, but they had science class. They were, they were lab partners and stuff. But yeah. Dissecting but, shit. Exactly. <laughs> So it makes no sense whatsoever. Like, wouldn't they have, like, called home to be like, um, hello, Viola has not been attending classes for a week. Like, where this bitch at? <laughs> yeah, maybe there are some plot holes that we can't resolve, Jane. I guess so. I also found it hilarious that, like, the two parents, the two divorce divorced parents of Viola and Sebastian, we established at the end that they had zero contact with each other. Like, they did not have each other's phone number or email address. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like it, it kind of seems like they're on the road to reconciliation great. at the end. Like maybe they're gonna get back together because again, the whole Shakespearean thing. Everyone has to be paired up at the end, and of course, a happy ending involves yeah. the divorced parents getting back together. There's no other way for an ending to be. Yeah, happy. totally. Um, but yeah, there is nothing. They're like giving each other their contact information at the end. So like, no wonder you're doing a shit job of co-parenting because they literally have no way of contacting each other. <laughs> My God. See, this is a lesson out to all those divorced parents. Make sure you have each other's email addresses. It helps to keep track of your children so they don't pull a Shakespearean Twelfth Night on you. Right, yeah. You don't want to be the parents who get a Twelfth Night pulled on them. I suppose, hold on. Does that, like, imply that there was a restraining order in place and that's why they didn't have each other's (gasps) contact info? Ooh. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, that would be an interesting... That would be an interesting twist, because then 
one of them would be violating the restraining order by going to the soccer game. Right. I just like jumping to conclusions, so that's what I wanted to talk about. Jumping and leaping to conclusions. Absolutely. About this rich-ass family. Okay. Uh, like, I she... Yeah. Sorry, th- this family's just so rich. I can't even... Go on, go no, on. No, it's obnoxious how rich they are. It's... <laughs> I, I just can't get over that he gets kicked out of one school, so he gets rewarded by being sent to another school. Uh, that is like of similar prestige um also i don't know if you would have noticed this i i noticed this from the imdb trivia uh laura ramsey who played olivia and jessica lucas who played yvonne uh which was one of the best friends um they were both in the covenant also together um oh yeah yvonne was pog's girlfriend pog was pog the character's name i am Pogue? Pogue. Pogue. I can't remember that was his it. Name. Yeah. Good memory oh, yeah. though. I would have never I couldn't have named name. a character from the government government? <laughs> the Covenant if you pointed a gun at <laughs> my head. See, it's only because I was writing a fanfic about it. And no, you I actually that fanfic Yes, I was. <laughs> I re- remember okay, from now this was a <gasps> while ago, but on our Discord one of our listeners, Ren, asked for a fanfic about Tyler Summers. Yes. Yeah, I remember the full name. Tyler, him picking his university degree. And so I started writing the fanfic, and I actually wrote that fanfic, and I only have, like, a couple paragraphs left in the middle that I need to, like, fill in to finish it, and then I'll post that fanfic. But I seriously wrote a fanfic about it. Oh my god, I just I, like, assumed that was an empty promise. Like, of course I remember. I, w- I wouldn't forget something no. like that. But I just assumed that that was something that it was like, oh, sure, I'll do that. And then it was never, wow, that that came to fruition. No, I totally <laughs> did. And it's like, actually, it's, it's a decent fanfic. Right. I can't remember where I put it, but I will... I will have to finish that. Fa- I'll have to. Oh my god! I was listening to. I just like go on Spotify and look up like of the Covenant playlist and like listen to the terrible like early two thousands music oh, yeah. of the movie while I'm like typing out. So I just have like a couple scenes left. No, like one scene left to write, and then I can post it. And then you guys can follow my uh, my other fanfics and read how graphic they are. Oh boy, they are so graphic. This is wonderful. I uh, I imagine that there's a ton of Linkin Park on that on those Spotify playlists. There is, yeah. and Evanescence, of course, Evanescence and Linkin Park. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I know. I think we probably covered this back at the time uh, when we were talking about the Covenant, but I could not believe how active the fandom for the Covenant was. Like <laughs> currently in really? 2021, 22, there's like still fanfics and stuff being made about it, and I'm like. This is a movie from, like, what, 2000, what was it, 7? Something like that? Like. Yeah, 2000 and something. There are still people writing fanfics about these people. Well, I guess you're one of them, so I mean that. 2006! So it is the same era as She's the Man. Unreal. Unreal. Amazing. Now, okay, I see that, like, we sort of designed a Could Have Been Gayer segment. And, like, it's interesting because we kind of established that, like, this movie feels gay and it feels trans, but it's like pretty much not. But it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think like just viewing viewing it from a 2022 sort of like perspective of people who are steeped in queer theory, like it, there's obviously plenty to talk about. But like, what did you think when it came to like 
how this movie could have been gayer. Like, I I did love how they gave us one good nod to gayness, and that is one that I had never noticed before, mm. but it was at the end of the movie, Viola's friend Paul, who gives her the makeovers and, like, gives her her man Sona, mm-hmm. he is fraternizing with one of Duke's friends at, like, the very end of the film at the debutante event, and, like, they're, like, you know, he, like, fixes his tie or something, and I'm like, oh, gay! So they do have a gay couple at, like, the very, very end for, like, literally a second on screen. But I did feel that this movie is, like, it is pretty trans, actually. And it's more so trans because of uh, Amanda Bynes and not because of the movie itself. Mm. Because when she was interviewed about the movie, like Amanda Bynes says... When the movie came out and I saw it, I went into a deep depression for four to six months because I didn't like how I looked when I was a boy. It really just put me into a funk. And she told that to the paper and, like, what her experience was. Like, Amanda Bynes experienced gender dysphoria when making this movie. Like, she didn't like the way that she looked as a boy. It didn't feel right. It sent her into a depression. And that, like, that is gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. like not liking how you look while presenting as a certain gender so i thought that was pretty interesting how it's like oh like it really does back up gender dysphoria because a cis person can experience gender dysphoria even though it's a very like rare experience because not many people are put into the shoes that amanda Bynes was put into i I read something a little while ago and I honestly, I wish I could remember like even where I read it, but I truly can't. But it was, Mm. it was something about how like, you know, everyone should take the time to just think about their gender identity because often like, I think we were saying something to this effect before a lot of times, like people who are thinking a lot about their gender identity tend to be like trans people and non-binary people and whatnot. But like, I think it behooves everyone or it would benefit everyone to really have a good long think about like, you know, am I comfortable in my, in my, um, in the gender that was sort of foisted upon me. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, you can see how Amanda Bynes, a person who without doing a movie like this would probably never be put in a situation where, you know, she's made to present as a gender that doesn't reflect her, her true nature. Um, like really experience that for the first time. And it's, it's wonderful that, you know, from most people, like the majority of people going through life, um, you're kind of just going to be assigned a gender and kind of go like, all right, <laughs> that's, that's most people's yeah. experience and you just kind of roll with it. Um, but whether or not you have any sort of profound realization about, uh, about your gender identity, I think it just kind of benefits everyone to just at least have a good little think about it and go like, is this how I feel? And, and do I feel comfortable with this? Because if the answer is yes, then you can, yeah. I think even just learn to appreciate your own, your, your own gender identity even more, you know, than if you just sort of treated it as default and never thought about it. Yeah, I think so. That's nice. Um, yeah, just, just fascinating. I think like cis people are just pretty much often never asked to think about their gender identity. And she was, and, came away with it thinking that it seems, you know, probably she's pretty comfortable being a woman and and living that life. So Mm -hmm. happy for her. 
Um, yeah, I, I liked Paul. Paul really felt like a like a gay best friend archetype at the, at the whole time. And he, yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked that little nod at the end between him and uh, Andrew, I believe, was Duke's friend's name. Um, it kind of felt like they sort of made eyes at each other at the end, which like that was probably oh, definitely. probably all the gay we were going to get. There was also the wonderful gay panic epi- like uh, moments where like Duke and uh, uh, Viola Sebastian were scared by Malvolio the spider. So they like clutch each other and then their faces get real close and then they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they have a total no homo moment. Yeah, this is my like and we said this about Olivia earlier, but I think that this is my should have been gayer is like everyone who is attracted to Viola as Sebastian has to admit that they're bi, like, or at least bi curious, like at least a little curious. At least a little, (laughs) just a bit, just a tad. Duke, you got caught in 4k, my friend. You're, (laughs) you, you're curious. I see it. Not that I would try to (laughs) try to uh, flag someone like that. Not that. Yeah. Yeah. But just, you know, consider it. Yeah. It really does feel like this movie was also made by people who had never heard of trans people. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because I, I found, I was trying to find, like, queer perspectives on this movie. And I feel like it's it seems to be very divisive among the queer community. There seems to be people yeah. who think that it is, who feel that it is a trans movie. And there seem to be people who feel that it is a transphobic movie. Um, and some interpreted it the way yeah. that I did earlier, right? Talking about Judith Butler and, and how it's a critique of gender performativity. Um, and I, I found one writer, uh, Nick Austin, from a publication called The Queer Q, who defined it. And by the way, Nick Austin wasn't like tearing apart the movie. He actually said he loves this movie, but he categorized it as something called a temporary transvestite movie. Um, quote, these films use gendered gags to convey to an audience that this cross-dressing is wrong and unnatural and everything is resolved because the character always reverts back to their original gender identity. And I think that's a really interesting reading of the movie. Like, and I could see both ways. Yeah. By the way, there's a ton of trans people who were like, this movie is my trans awakening. Like, this is is the movie that made me Yes. Oh, God, yes. yeah, Yeah, like... And I said this earlier, right? This is one of the first movies, probably the first movie I had seen as a kid that was like at all playful with the idea of gender, like like had any form of drag mm-hmm. or cross-dressing or anything like that. So um, it's it's interesting, the line that people sort of draw with this movie, right? And, and how people view the exact same content in very different ways. Yeah, it's very interesting because like, I like I definitely see it as like one of my awakening movies mm-hmm. like this definitely like helped crack my egg <laughs> yeah and but like the temporary transvestite that is honestly the best description of it because ultimately she does revert back to her original gender and that kind of resolves everything it resolves all the problems like no more does she have to like sneak around at like 4 a.m in the morning to go take a shower like we do we don't get to see the fallout from the movie mm-hmm. which I, I i honestly wish we kind of had like a flash forward like a couple months like yeah. here's what's happening now like does sebastian go to illyria is like viola back at cornwall we don't know like no viola stays at illyria yeah right? she's playing for the team at the end yeah she is playing for the team so maybe she transfers i, th- I think so that's what i read into it yeah yeah we'll go with that we'll go with that (laughs) and she would still be the ladies man on campus i bet yeah a hundred percent 
the, she earned that title. Here's what I think. Like my my honest take on this movie is that it's a classic like i said it's like obviously Mm -hmm. gonna be a little outdated as any kind of like slapstick comedy from a certain era will be right like i think it needs an update like i would love a she's the man remake in the 2020s that is just like just like a couple notches more queer you know how i said like this movie's one notch hornier than it needed to be i want to see it like three notches queerer um and like actually Mm. explore some of these things like yeah, the people who are attracted to Viola as Sebastian, are they realizing something about themselves through this interaction? Uh, could Viola end the movie as a gender-fluid person who, who like, you know, kind of presents different ways on different days? Like, I think this movie deserves a remake. That's that's my awesome... that Awesome? That's my honest take. Um, bring back David Cross. Change nothing about David Cross's role or character. <laughs> Uh, have like he's perfect as he is have like amanda Bynes and channing tatum need cameos but like yeah that's that's how i feel i'd be down for that like a 20 year anniversary remake let's have this come out in 2026 like sounds perfect and like i said really explore like some of those other avenues i think that would be uh, a really fun way to go about it yeah, because there's a big opportunity to keep exploring, like, uh, gender dysphoria mm-hmm. and, like, gender performance. Like, this would be really interesting with a Judith Butler kind of perspective and frame around it. Yeah. Also give Judith Butler a cameo. That would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> let's see Butler in a movie. What, what? Yeah. Um, I don't know. We've gotten to the end of our document. Do you feel like there's anything else to be said about She's the Man? I mean, just that it's, like, it's a baller movie. Like, it, I really enjoyed watching this. Like, it was definitely not homework to go and watch this yeah, again. Yeah, it was fun. Like, it was genuinely a really fun movie. It's it's still funny. Like, yeah. I was worried, I don't know, there's some parts where I'm like, maybe I cringed at a couple of scenes, but, like, it's genuinely, yeah. like, I don't know, it holds up. Obviously, like, adults of the time hated it, too. I, all the reviews, like, the... Yeah. Ebert and Roper ones were like, oh my god, this stupid kids movie is full of, like, dumb slapstick jokes and potholes, and maybe there's just something to it, like, the movies from your childhood are just gonna stick with you and always be good, because you'll remember what it was like when you when you first watched it, and if I'd seen this for the first time as a 25-year-old, maybe I wouldn't find it funny, but I just think I always will, you know? I think so, like, there's something nostalgic about it now. Yeah, 100%. Okay, here's my last question before we introduce the uh the the next movie's topic because we're going back to spooky town finally yes um if there was a remake back to spooky (laughs) yeah if there was a remake in in the 2020s who would you play in the remake because obviously we're getting casted because it was our idea we also get cameos us the two stars of this movie and judith butler all get cameos so who are you playing Oh my god, can I be Malvolio? Can I be the spider? <laughs> you want to be the spider? I was like, do you mean Malcolm? But no, you mean the spider. Okay. No, no I, I, I honestly, I think I would love to play Malcolm, though. Like, okay. I feel like he's such a fun character. Like, he's so creepy, and he's so, like, desperate. Like, that yeah. would just be a fun... That would be. Like, like my need... Like, I should be saying, oh, I want to play Viola because I want to do cross-dressing. No, fuck it. I want to play the creepy character. <laughs> like, I, 
I want to be that guy who's like petting a pillow that has a face printed on it. Right. What about you, Jay? I was gonna say that I'd be if David Cross isn't available, I'd I'd love to take up the mantle of of Principal Gold, which like that's a legacy Ooh. role. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's like who's gonna play yeah. the next Batman? Like who's gonna be the next Principal Gold? I feel like those are big shoes to fill, but I, I feel like I'd be <laughs> up to it. Um, <laughs> and then we'll have debates yes. over like this is my generation's Principal Gold because we'll start remaking She's the Man every like five years or so. Um, yeah <laughs> but uh i also i liked your idea of playing the spider so i think we could be like a duo as our cameo role you know like we're <gasps> malcolm and malvolio <Ooh>. so <laughs> yeah and we have more in-depth conversations and philosophical conversations <laughs> there's 20 minute monologues like in the middle of the movie between malcolm and his fucking <laughs> spider that just have nothing to do with anything else Sounds perfect, yeah, honestly. Kind of our, like, ramp... It'll be a masterpiece. Yeah, our podcast is, like, rambly enough as it is. Just a full episode of our podcast in the middle of the movie where Malcolm and his spy <laughs> talk about a random horror movie for an hour and a half. Excellent. Perfect. I really love that. Now, Jake, what is our next movie or movies... Yeah, well, well, well said. We're doing another double feature, which we haven't done since we watched uh, the two versions of The Haunting. The Haunting. Which was like episode three or four or something like that. That was really early on. So it'll be cool to, uh, yeah, to get into that again. But our next episode, we're going to be doing X 2022 and Pearl 2022. Um, both of these movies are directed by Ty West and st- starring Mia Goth. And like, I honestly feel like we've we've covered a couple of movies from like this year already but i think like these movies are going to be like maybe maybe the defining horror movies of this year like they're they're so good uh we've both seen or you've seen pearl and i've seen both yes um but to anyone who doesn't like who doesn't know the background or isn't aware X is a movie that came out earlier this year and, like I said, directed by Ty West starring Mia Goth, and it's a slasher movie. Um, It's very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, that's something that we'll absolutely be talking Mm -hmm. about. There's a ton of resemblance to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A bunch of yuppies roll up to a farm and bad stuff happens to them. And then... Yeah. That movie was kind of a smash hit. It came out of nowhere. Was really good. And then... Out of nowhere, later on in the same year, they announced that a prequel that no one asked for is coming uh, in a month. And it premiered at <laughs> TIFF, like here in Toronto. And uh, it's all, it's starring Mia Goth in a different role. And it's a prequel basically explaining the origin story of the slasher from X, the other movie. So it's so good it's like there the amount of themes in them my concern is that this is going to be a very long episode because there is so much to talk about between yeah. these two movies maybe we'll find that we need to split them up into two episodes i don't know um yeah but yeah like it's it works as a double feature because it is uh the same story there is a third movie that's going to be coming in the series so like we'll almost certainly be doing a follow-up of that um but I'm really excited to talk about it. There's so much themes when it comes to uh, pandemics and repression and sexuality. And it's not really queer Mm -hmm. at all, but like there's, there's enough, 
Oh no, there's some there's some queer in X. There's like a tiny little bit enough oh, to justify. Okay, it. good. It, 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 you'll know it when you like see it. Just like a sprinkling. There's literally one moment that I'm like, yeah, that fills our quota. <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Good enough. Good enough. We. Yep. We got a shout That's out. That's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> Ah yeah. They said, here's a little moment for the gays, and then uh, that's all you get. <laughs> but That's all you get. That's your year allowance. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to rewatch X now having seen Pearl and see like what other resemblances. Because uh. when I watched Pearl, I was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing some stuff like here are some shots that are sort of mirrored from the uh from the original. Yeah. And so now I'm excited to see like, okay, what sort of like literal references to Pearl exist within X. So yeah, I'm really excited mm. to talk about these. Yeah, I'm very excited because I haven't seen X yet. And I watched Pearl like when it came out in theaters. Right. I had no idea it was associated with X or that it, like was associated with another movie. So I'm pretty excited to like watch X and see like genuinely follow the storyline. It'll be interesting, too, to compare because it, I think it doesn't matter really which order you watch these in because, like I said, yeah. X came out first and then Pearl was a prequel, an origin story. But all that happens is if, if you watch it in the reverse order of how it came out, all that happens is you're watching it in sequential order. You're seeing the origin story and then you're seeing yeah. the latter version of the story. So um, I think it works either way and we'll we'll kind of see, like, I think it'll be interesting to see if we feel differently about certain characters having watched them yeah. in a different way. Um, I wonder. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm super stoked, and uh, that'll be. I think this will be a fun episode. Like I said, I'm very excited to get back into spooky mode because this has been an unnatural month. It's been it's been nice though, you know. <laughs> it's been it's been nice to take a little break from the spook and find the spook in you know, unconven- like unconventionally scary movies. Like, you know, there was a little bit of horror in She's the Man, you know, but it was mostly like trans horror where it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get caught in the bathroom when you were just about to get naked and it's like, oh no, people. True. You know. Yeah, and we talked about how there was some horror in Matilda, but I don't know. I'm kind of champing at the bit, frothing yeah. at the mouth to get back to some good old-fashioned murders. <laughs> <laughs> some so, yeah, let's get back to the murder. I want to see someone so, yeah, get, let's get chopped up with an axe and fed to an alligator, and and Matilda's not going to do that for me. Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Pearl will. Thank you, Pearl. Yeah, <laughs> God bless Pearl. All right, everybody. God bless. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you uh, if you want to hear more from us, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and uh, uh, follow us on Instagram as well. Shannon works real hard to put up some great content there. And, uh, you know, let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Um, other than that, you know, stay safe and prepared to get spooked again next week. Because we're or in a fortnight, I suppose. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, actually, we are taking a short break because I'm going on vacation. That's right. So it might be more like three or four weeks. That's true. I forgot that. I, I should be more on top of that. Yeah, we've got some stuff to figure. I've got some stuff to figure out on my end, too. So we're, <laughs> it's probably yeah. good to, to take a minute away. But we'll but be back. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be back and we'll be, we'll be here to, to spook your little buns off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Take it easy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.